Okay, let me let me open us in prayer and then we can we can start. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to study your word and now that we're reaching the wisdom literature, we do we do pray for for wisdom. We want to learn from your word, we want to become more like you, Lord Jesus. You are our wisdom. Uh, you are everything to us, and so help us to see you more clearly. And uh, may you be glorified and keep us from error, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in, um, as I said, in wisdom literature. So we finished the, uh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, and those first five books, and then the next 12 books, the historical books and now we come to the five uh, wisdom books and today we're going to look at uh, uh, Job and Ecclesiastes so they're not it's not in order um, it's uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. The reason I put these two together is because they are the most uh, different and uh, they're dealing with with life when life isn't going well. Okay, Proverbs also, also does as well, and obviously Psalms in different ways, but uh, these two books especially examine life in very interesting interesting ways and answer or seek to uh, maybe don't answer our questions but at least show us that the scriptures are aware of the human condition and what humans go through so um, the uh, that's why I've chosen these two books for, for us to look at so the first thing is just to define wisdom um, the Hebrew word is sort of a technical term. It's, it's a word that's used for people uh, navigating a, a ship. Okay. So I think that's quite helpful because wisdom is, is about navigating life. Okay. So it is the wise person who can navigate life and avoid the, the reefs and the know the strong waves etc etc so i think that's a helpful way to think of it so wisdom is is having knowledge and then knowing how to apply it in order to achieve uh to achieve the goals that you have set that's that sort of wisdom that's wisdom broadly speaking for every human being okay so even a bank robber can be wise you know because they say well this is how we're going to get the money uh, so you can have a wise bank robber who knows their goal, what they want to achieve, and how to do it. Obviously, wisdom in the Bible is not in, including that. Although Jesus does say the, the children of darkness are wiser in their generation than the children of light. Uh, and I think it's because uh, unbelievers are sold out for their gods. They, they give themselves fully to their false gods. And so in that sense, they're wise. They live for their gods, whether it's money, power, pleasure, uh, status, whatever it is, they sold out for their gods. And we often don't live like that. We don't love God as we should and, and are sold out for him. Um, but one of the themes throughout all five of the, of the wisdom books, the primary theme is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's the starting place for biblical wisdom, is to fear the Lord. <coughs> yes? Don't. What's the difference between wisdom and discernment? Why are they like connected? So the question is, what's the difference between wisdom and discernment? Um, I think they are connected. So discernment would be able to tell what's, what's right and what's wrong. You might be able to discern, but if you, if you don't apply it, you're still unwise. So, so, uh, but certainly a wise person would be able to discern and then 
would actually apply it uh, in, in, their, in their life. Okay. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's found through all five of the books. And by fear, we, we don't mean that the fear in terms of a fear that causes you to run away. Okay. Um, the fear of the Lord draws us closer to him. Ordinarily, fear would make you flee something. So this is a different type of fear. And the analogy that uh, I always like to use, and I, it's not original to me, I, I forget where I got it from, but and, and I, maybe I've used it here already, but just a reminder, fear in the Bible is more the idea of um, uh, mountain climbers who seek to climb the great mountains, they have a fear for the mountain because the mountain then can kill them, but they're drawn to it. Or those surfers who seek to ride the massive waves, you know, they fear it can kill them, but it doesn't drive them away. It's awesome, you know. It's um, the the English word awful. It's become come to mean you know this food tastes awful, but originally it meant full of awe. Okay, we'd say God is awful. We don't mean he's horrible and terrible. We mean he fills us with awe. Okay, same with awesome, um, which has become a throwaway word. But uh, that's more the idea of biblical fear. Okay, so when we're called to to fear God, don't have the idea of a slavish fear, uh, a cowering in the corner from a tyrant. Um, it is a like, like in Chronicles of Narnia with Aslan, you know, that he, he, is, um, he is good, but he's not safe. Okay. So you, God is good, but he's not safe. Don't think that you can play games with him. But if you come, it will be glorious. Okay, um, okay so that's, that's just a bit of an intro on, on uh, wisdom literature. I, I, I especially love these books. Uh, not you. It's quite interesting. You won't find many pastors who preach through these books. Um, it's not common, but uh, uh, because I'm pretty dumb, I've, <laughs> I've I've wanted to figure out these books. So I've I've had the privilege of preaching through Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Uh, large sections of Proverbs and many of the Psalms because they, they're so, so important uh, for, for living wisely. Okay, so let's, let's begin with Job. Most of us, I think, uh, know something of Job. Uh, he's, his name is really even an idiom. You know, we, we talk about the sufferings of Job um, or the trials of Job. So, so we're familiar with Job, but let's, let's just have a look at it. Uh, in terms of authorship, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, some people say Job wrote it himself. Um, he, he does say, I wish that somebody would record my words uh, in, in chapter 19. Uh, some people say Moses wrote it, but we really don't know, and so it's not really important. If the Holy Spirit wanted us to know, he would have told us, he would have made it clear. So... We don't know. But it may well be the most ancient book in, in the whole Bible. Okay, so, uh, obviously not in what it's telling us, because Genesis tells us about creation, so that goes all the way back to the very beginning. But it may well have been written before Moses wrote the first five books. It seems that Job lives at the time of the patriarchs. So that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob around that time. So long before Moses. Okay. Uh, there are certain reasons for this. So uh, we're told in chapter 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. So uh, we don't know where Uz uh, was. We have certain theories, but it wasn't in, in the land of Canaan. 
So he's not an Israelite. Okay. He is also offering his own sacrifices. Okay, so you can see if you if you look down um, verse five. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. This is talking about his children when they celebrated birthdays. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So uh, if he's doing his own sacrifices, which is what the patriarchs did, you'll remember that they built altars and did their own sacrifices. Noah did sacrifices. Cain and Abel did sacrifices. But once... Once uh, Moses is around, then there is the centralized system that is put in place. The tabernacle, and you are not allowed to do your own private sacrifices anymore. You'd be put to death. You have to go to the place wherever God sets it up, and ultimately it's Jerusalem in the temple. You had to go and do sacrifices there. So that all of that sort of tells us this is very ancient. This is before Moses, before um, the land of Canaan belongs to Israel before the temple or the tabernacle or the sacrificial system is set up. Also, the language, the, the Hebrew is very ancient, uh, famously difficult to interpret some of it. Some of it. So it's, it's very archaic language. Okay. So all of that tells us it's very ancient. Okay. Uh, and so we... we it may well be the first, the first uh, scriptures to be to be written. Okay, so very, very interesting. Which to me is quite remarkable that God, in His sovereignty, you know, you think, okay, if you were God, which book would you make sure gets written down first? Um, what do you think people need to know most? And I, I maybe if we're thinking clearly. We, would, we may well say a book like Job because life is full of suffering. And um, God's people suffer. And so what's going on with that? Um, and so wisdom literature deals a lot with that, with suffering. So I, I really think it's beautiful. If it is the first book, God is so kind to us. He he. he, he he comes and, and really ministers to us in our suffering. Um, okay, this is what you need to know first. Okay, okay so um, uh, let's, let's find out some more about this man back in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man, in the land, a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Okay, so that's really important. We are told this several times that Job is a righteous man. Jump down to verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So the scriptures are very clear that Job is a godly man. Not perfect. He admits that himself, and, and we, we understand that. There's no one perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ. But in terms of um, he, would, he would deal with his sin. He would, he would fight sin. And we, we'll get to uh, chapter 31 where he really talks about how he sought to honor God and obey God. Uh, the reason this is so important is because uh, there is a, a, a false teaching called the prosperity gospel, which says, if you suffer, it means you've, you've sinned. Uh, you don't have enough faith, you're doing bad stuff, you're not giving enough money, whatever it is, and that's why you're suffering. And so this, the book of Job smashes that, and so they, they've, it's very interesting, I, don't, I, 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 um, I couldn't believe that somebody would try and argue that the book of Job is saying something else, but they do. They have to for the sake of their theology. So they actually do argue that Job was sinful and that this is a result of his sin. 
But the Bible from verse 1 tells us, no, he's blameless and righteous. Okay? An upright man. God repeats it again, talking to Satan. So we, we need to establish that. It's not to say that later on Job doesn't go off the rails and start to, to say some stupid things. He does, and God corrects him on that. But at this point, what's going to happen to him has got nothing to do with anything that he is doing wrong. So, um, we, it's called the book of Job, and certainly it's, it's about him. But ultimately, this book is about God. And you'll see why just now. Okay, but let's, that's, that's up front. Just so we, we get that out of the way, that this is, we're talking here about suffering, not as a result of sin, because that's a reality. The Bible is clear on that. Sometimes God gives us hidings because of our sin. Um... Sometimes, you know, there's consequences to our sin, and that's, that's part of life, okay? Um, we, we, God forgives us, but we need to accept that um, and, and, and move on, okay? Yes? So this is on a more like a historical level. So this uh, Job is an actual person. The book of Job isn't like a parable of <coughs> someone telling a story and not someone. It was an actual person that existed. And, uh, yes. So, so uh, there are some people who, who believe it's a, a parable. Um, uh, the way it's written is 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 uh, it's not written in a parabolic form. Um, and again. The New Testament will will speak of Job. So James, said, you know, speaks of Job. Uh, we've heard of the you've heard of the sufferings of Job. Um, but uh, let, let's let me try find that quickly because that's quite an important one. It wouldn't make sense if it's a parable. Mm. Um, <coughs> Verse 11 of chapter 5, James says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So if it's a parable, that wouldn't make sense. How is the Lord compassionate to a, a, a figment of someone's imagination? Um, okay. So so he's he's a real person. The the when the narratives, the the as they talk to each other, are highly poetic, very stylized, very beautiful. So it's highly unlikely that they really spoke like that. So that's, you know, that's, their speeches are probably, uh, are written in a, in, a, in a more beautiful and poetic way. So I wouldn't say that they, you know, they said, they, sp- they spoke off the cuff in this highly stylized, poetic, beautiful way. Although, uh, certainly I think they probably spoke better than us. You know, if you go and read Pride and Prejudice or something, the Jane Austen books or, or, or Dickens, you know, the way people spoke in conversation was very uh, okay. beautiful. You know, we're, we're more like, like, um, like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, ish, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what are you doing? Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> we, we don't have large vocabularies or anything like that. So that's unfortunate. But uh, so I think they did speak in a very beautiful way, mm-hmm. but probably not as good as this. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So uh, he's upright. Verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Okay, so uh, he is uh, incredibly wealthy and blessed with many children. Remember that's um, as it still is in, in, in um, traditional cultures today. That's a sign of blessing, great blessing. So that he is the greatest man in the East. Okay, so the the. You need to sort of try and imagine these um, 
oriental um about oriental meant like just in in the east okay it doesn't mean necessarily china yeah, far east but the orient um so you can think of tremendous wealth and I think maybe maybe sort of in a movie like I think it, it's Ben Hur or um, you know you meet the, you meet those see those guys who live in these beautiful tents and uh, Persian rugs and you know that's I think that's the idea this tremendous wealth and status that he's the greatest man in the East but he's a godly man and he gives sacrifices for his children he's worried about sin you can see that he's worried that his children have sinned and so he gives sacrifices for them. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So here, sons of God refers to angels. Okay, So sometimes it, it refers to God's people, and sometimes to uh, angels. Okay, So they come before the Lord. Satan here means accuser. In Job chapter one, so it's uh, in the Hebrew it's Hasatan, it means accuser. Accuser. So uh, he he he's the accuser. He accuses people before God. He accuses us uh, for sin. So he comes and. Uh, Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So very interesting. Who is it that that, uh, points out Job? It's God. It's not Job. It's not Satan. It's actually God who, who, uh, you know. Points out, have you you, you had a look at uh, Job? So he sort of thanks, Lord. Uh, um, verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? And that's really the issue. So what, what Job, the book of Job is really about, uh, I think some of the older translations say, does, does, Satan says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Or does he serve you for nothing? And that's really the whole issue of the book of Job. Job doesn't get this insight. Remember, Job's living. This is going on up in in the heavenly realms, the heavenly courts. He's just carrying on on his life. Even at the end, it's not that God reveals, hey, wait a minute, Satan and I had a meeting and this is what happened. He doesn't know. So we, as the readers, we get this insight. We get to see behind the scenes, okay, what's going on here? And basically what Satan is saying to God, he's actually attacking God. What he's saying is, the, in, in, the, in the ancient world, and it's the same today, the, there was sort of codependency in terms of people and their gods. So uh, the gods, the views of the gods were that they needed stuff. Okay, so they needed food and money and stuff. So uh, they needed praise and worship. So, so you would bring stuff to them so that they would not do bad things to you. So it was... Yes. So you, you, they want stuff from you and you want stuff from them. And really you want... Uh, what do you want? You don't want to get sick. You, you want to have money. You want to have children, you want to have power, whatever it is. And so you have to do certain things, and then it's a win-win sort of situation. And Satan is really saying that. The only reason Job worships you is because of this. You give him nice stuff. Okay. So uh, what he's getting at is saying, God, nobody would actually worship you for you. The only reason people worship you and obey you is because they get nice stuff from you. Can you see it's a, it's a direct challenge on the character of God. Is God worth serving and loving for nothing? Okay. 
And that's really, it's fundamental. You have to ask yourself that question. Do you, if you say you're a Christian, do you say, I love God um, because I can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be like a beach and, uh, you know, whatever we, um, the Puritans used to say, uh, heaven would be hell if God were not there. But lots of people are like, they're not, no sickness, no problems. Yeah, okay, if God's not there, yeah. <clears throat> but you see then that you don't know God. Okay. So I think this is an incredible, um, incredible book because there will be seasons in your life where there's not really a human reason to serve God. There's not... Well, God gives me lots of nice things, okay, in, physically or because um, we're going to get to Ecclesiastes and we're going to see with Job. Now, it's highly unlikely any of us will suffer like Job suffered. But there'll be seasons of suffering and you're going to have to say, there'll be seasons where God seems very distant. Is God still worth loving? Okay, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But... Um, we, I think we can understand this on a human level. If you, if you, if you only love people for what they can do for you, it's not really love. Hey, if you truly love someone, even if they end up in a coma and they can't do anything for you, they can't have a conversation with you, they're really useless to you on a, on a, um, uh, what's the philosophy? Um, utilitarian perspective. There's no utility to them. They're not giving anything to you. But yet, you know if it was a loved one, you would still love them. But even if they're functionally a vegetable, you still love them because of who they are. Okay? And that's the idea here. Where this, the book of Job, and this is going on all the time in the lives of believers, we are, we are showing the world and what the Bible calls principalities and powers, so the demonic realm and the angelic realm, that God is worth loving no matter what. Okay? Um, and that's what faith is, that he is worth loving no matter what. Okay? And Job is going to, to show that. Satan is laying down a challenge, which is an indirect attack upon God. Basically, God, nobody would love you unless you gave them good stuff. It's only because you protect him that he loves you. And so you know the story that uh, God then gives him permission. and says you can take away everything, but you can't kill him. Okay? You can't kill him. Which again is a reminder that there is a devil, but he's God's devil. Okay? Satan can't do anything that God does not ordain or allow him to do. Okay? Um, and so he gives him permission, and he goes, and it's, it's, it's horrific. Um, verse 13, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The men were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants. I'm the only one who survived. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. Verse 17, while I was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans swarmed three groups and made a raid and struck down the servants. They took the camels. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters, etc. There was a great wind that struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. It's... You know, you can't even begin to <laughs> process while the one is telling you, you know, um, your servants are being killed and these animals are taken. While he's still talking, the next servant comes and says, these animals are being taken and these servants have been killed. While and then all your children, dead, gone. Okay. So it's, it's, it's just overwhelming, incredible, okay? Um, 
Verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, isn't it amazing? He, he worships. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So there it is again. He's not sinning. Later on, he, and really as he's provoked by his friends, but he, he, does, he does start to to um, say some bad things. But at this point, it's, it's remarkable. Um, he, he, he mourns, he's broken, obviously, but he realizes God gives and God takes away. Okay. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's really, um, I think if we can, you know, you know if, you've rent, if you rent a car and then they take it back, you know, probably you don't go away like angry and crying because mm. it belonged to them. Mm. Okay. And that's sort of the idea we need to have. We are simply stewards. Uh, whatever we have is a gift from God. God has given us health, family, possessions. But it belongs to him if he decides to take it back. We're, 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 we're just renting in that sense. If he decides to take it back, he has a right to do that. So I'm not saying we can't mourn, but um, at this point he, he has a right attitude. But it gets gets worse because he still continues to trust God and so now he's allowed to, to attack his body. And uh, his whole body is covered with, with sores from top to bottom. And so you have this picture of him sitting on the ash heap. So sort of totally desolate you know it could be a really powerful if this was a you know movie it could be such a powerful you know scene sitting there on the ash heap scratching his sores with a, a piece of broken pot okay a potsherd so he's just um you know totally decimated uh, his wife says to him why didn't you curse god and die so um and i, I don't think she's She's, uh, she probably just, you know, is devastated to see him like that and just like, just finish it, just die rather. But at the same time, it's not that helpful. Instead of encouraging him to trust the Lord. So, um, uh, it, it's really bad. Then we start with um, his three friends. Um, Oh, uh, let me just say this. Uh, so let's go back. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Very important. There are a lot of Christians, again, who always try to make... They think they're protecting God. So bad things are always the devil and good things are always God. Um, understand why they're doing that, but if you th- if you go a little bit deeper, then you have huge theological problems. Well, I don't really want to serve a God who can't protect me from the devil. Okay, um, you know, then 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 we have we have serious problems there. What I want you to notice is that Satan does not appear again. Okay, Job looks straight through the devil to God. He realizes that God is in control. He doesn't go, the devil did all this stuff and it's the devil and Satan. And again, a lot of the contemporary church focuses so much on the devil. Mm-hmm. That's like all that, they give him so much airtime. Now we mustn't be disrespectful, but we must, must give him as much airtime as the Bible gives him. And Job sees that ultimately it's God. It's God is behind this. God has ordained this. He's used Satan as a means, definitely. God uses means. He uses the devil. He uses evil people. He used the Chaldeans and the Sabians. And, um, he used the tornado, hurricane. Uh, so God uses means, but behind it all is God. Okay. So um, uh, we need to remember that. And that's actually a comfort because if God, if it comes from God, Spurgeon said this, God, it's a comfort to know that Whatever I suffer comes from the hand of a loving father who knows exactly, and he uses the analogy of medicine, who knows exactly how much medicine to give me. Okay. 
So uh, we need to remember that. Chapter 3 then, the speeches start. So his friends come, uh, three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. So this Bildad here is an uh, interesting fact. It's the shortest person in the Bible. <laughs> it's true. It says Bildad the Shuhite. Sorry. So he, uh, they come and they start off well because they just sit with Job. Job's totally broken, you can imagine. And at the beginning, they're good friends. They just sit with him. And often, uh, you know, when people are grieving, especially believers, uh, remember the scriptures just says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes, I think as Christians, when someone's broken, they've lost a loved one or some devastating news, we, we want to give them a Bible study, you know, and, uh, yeah, read this whole book or something. Or <laughs> um, and if you've ever been in those situations, you'll know that that's, it's no help at all. Um, you, you might appreciate the person's, uh, you know, love and care, but it's not really helpful. But if they just sit with you and grieve with you, that's that's sufficient, okay. So in, and so that's just also a warning, uh, well, a counsel to also if you're in the, in that situation, don't come with a Bible study and tell people all the theology they should be, unless they ask or they you know. It's, so just what most most Christians know, they know already. They just need to to process everything, mm-hmm. and and knowing that other people are bearing the burden with them is is what they need. So it starts off well, but then then it goes south. Okay, so from chapter 3, then the speeches start, and Job now starts to lament. And he laments his birth. He wishes that he had never been born. He curses the day of his birth. He wishes that, um, and I think it's uh, Jeremiah does the same thing. Um, uh, he, wished, he wishes that he had been stillborn. Um, because then he would not have had to have gone through all of that. And and God's people can experience that. Maybe you've experienced that. I wish I'd never been born. Okay. Um, Job experiences that. And uh, then his friends start to talk. And uh, Eliphaz is the first one. And if you go, if you read the book of Job... From chapter 3, um, just for, for lots and lots of chapters, it gets very boring. Okay. And that's intentional. What's happening is that it's not moving anywhere. They're going round and round in circles, and that's intentional. As you read it, you're supposed to sort of get frustrated. Because what his friends now do and we don't have time to, to go into it, is they start to give him pretty much uh, traditional wisdom, or um, early on they give him sort of mystical wisdom. So, um, mystical experience. So, um, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, Eliphaz says, Now a word was brought to me stealthily. My ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. So I got goosebumps. Okay. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and in his angels he charges with error, etc. It carries on like this. Very mystical. 
the way he describes it, he, he obviously thinks it's from God, but it could be demonic. It actually sounds more like it's something demonic. Um, but it's mystical wisdom, okay? Visions and strange experiences. And so um, he comes with that. And then the others keep talking and Job tries to defend himself. What they, what the main thing that they bring is um, traditional wisdom and um, by that, so traditional wisdom is not bad. In fact, a lot of Proverbs is full of traditional wisdom. So what do you mean by traditional wisdom is um, if you work hard, you'll do well financially. Um, if you don't stay in bed the whole day, uh, you'll do better at your job. If you, etc., etc. Okay, And that's ordinarily true. It's not a law though. Okay. See the difference. Proverbs are not laws. Okay. They are, it's, it's like we grow up with those proverbs, you know. If you play in the street, you'll get hit by a car sort of thing. It's not a law that every time you play in the street, you get hit by cars. Uh, <laughs> but your chances are higher if you're going to play in the street that you'll get hit by a car. It's those kind of things. And so they, they can only look at it like that. So they're saying, Joe, bad things have happened to you. You must have done bad things. In fact, such terrible things have happened to you. You must have done terrible things. And they appeal to the justice of God. It all, it's all perfect, except it's the wrong situation. Okay. It's true. So there are times when bad things have happened to you because you've sinned against God. Okay. That is true. Sometimes Paul says that, remember in 1 Corinthians 11 about communion. He says some of you are eating and drinking in an unworthy way. That's why some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are even have even died. Okay? There it is. You're making a mockery of communion. God has judged you. Bad things are happening to you. There it is. That's that happens, okay? And that's true in that situation. In this situation, they're a million miles away because we we saw Job is righteous, hey. Um, and so, again, he has a warning because we all, I think we all have this in us. We don't really apply it to ourselves. So it's quite interesting. We always have double standards. You know, when bad things go wrong for us, it's like, it's so unjust. It's always external. Yeah, yeah. It's something else and, and I'm a victim and everything's. But when bad things happen to other people, it's like, yeah, they probably did bad stuff. <laughs> they deserve it. Um, you know, I wonder why that guy's always sick. You know, he's always has the flu. <laughs> Must be, he's probably bad stuff. He probably does bad things. You see that we, we, we default to it. Be very, very careful. Okay. Unless you have insight and you know that that person is continuing in unrepentant sin, you just leave it with the Lord. Pray for that person. Walk a road with them. Love them. Um, don't fall into this. But they... They, couldn't ha- they didn't have another view. They, all they could say is, bad things have happened to you. You must have done something terrible. Okay? Job keeps defending himself. They keep coming back. Job defends himself. They come back. Job is saying, I want, I want to speak to God. <laughs> so this is where he starts to... You, you, you can see him, so, as you read it, he's getting frustrated. I want to plead my case to God. He wants to bring God into the courtroom and say, I'm, I, I, this is not right what has happened to me. Okay, mm. So that's where it starts to go wrong. Yes. Pastor yeah. Michael, I've often been surprised by how confident Joe is in the, uh, Job is in his righteousness. Like, what, how can he be so confident? Was there something in the Old Testament law that made, that he was made sure that in his mind that he was like, no, I followed... Like I can definitely say I'm righteous. You know? So as you read it, he confesses his sin. So he does not, he, he never denies that he is a sinner. So he talks about even the sins of his youth. Um, he talks about um, sacrifices for his own sins. So he never claims to be perfect. So this is an important thing. The, the Bible, so the, the Bible will talk about 
elders or pastors must be blameless. It's not saying, when it talks about blameless and upright, when it talks about Noah, it's not saying that they were morally perfect, okay, or that an elder must be morally perfect. It's impossible. Uh, what it's saying is that um, it's a person who is fighting their sin, who deals with their sin, um, who is, is, is living a holy life, um, but not perfect. So he's saying, um, so, so let's put it like this. Uh, all of us sin okay, um, every day. And so we, we okay, so I, I um, you know, you lose your temper on the road. And then you're convicted and you say, oh, Lord, please forgive me. And, uh, you know, maybe it's someone you even know. And then you go and say, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And you make it right. Okay. Um, and, and it, you know, that's all going on sort of often. Uh, maybe I, I didn't say the right thing. That was a bit rude or I was thoughtless there or I had a bad thought. So I don't, it's where I speak to the Lord. I say, Lord, please forgive me. Please help me. And so we're fighting sin like that. But then let's say I'm, um, every time I pitch up at work, there's someone I really dislike and I'm the manager and I just belittle them in front of the, the team. Every morning I walk in, I say something nasty. You see, I'm not fighting and I'm not repentant. That's the difference. So then if something happens to me, I, can, I, can, I should know it's because of that. I'm, I'm not dealing with sin in that area. I'm unrepentant. And so God is giving me a hiding for it. So Job is saying there was nothing like that in my life. It wasn't perfect, but I was fighting sin. I was, um, especially with everything that's happened to him, it's, 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 it's huge, you know. Um, Punishment doesn't fit his crimes, whatever crimes he had. In that sense, yeah. yeah. Look, we all deserve hell, but... As God's children, um, so so that's what he's he's saying, and and he he was a righteous man. So um, it is an interesting thing. So we we um, I, th- I think sometimes we 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 shy away from it because we don't want to be. <coughs> we think maybe I'm being proud, but Paul remember defends himself. He says I. You know, you saw how I was, how I behaved with you. You saw how hard I worked. You saw that I didn't take money from you. You saw the way I treated you. You saw these things. So in certain situations, it's not wrong for us to... to we're, we're not saying it in our strength and I'm amazing. It's not an arrogant. It's, it's the truth. It's... it's um, you're, you're, you see, humility isn't saying... Um, um, so, so yeah, we've got Keegan here, okay. So you all know he he plays professional soccer, okay. Oh. So if Keegan came in here and said, "Ah, oh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I can't play soccer. I'm <laughs> I'm terrible," would we say, "Oh, what a humble person," or would you say, "He's a liar"? Okay. <laughs> We're just talking about you. <laughs> See, so we sometimes think humility is, we just say how terrible we are and how useless we are. But actually, if you, you know, it's not, if God has given you an ability, that's just, you're just being dishonest. It's a lie. Okay? Remember, where, uh, Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think soberly to the Romans. He doesn't say think terrible thoughts of yourself. Think soberly. Think clearly. So you can say in this situation, Lord. So maybe you've, I'm sure you've had it at, at school or at work. Maybe a teacher picked on you and blamed you for something. You didn't do it. So I did not do this. This is not right that I'm being, you know, yeah. getting detention. Are you being proud or arrogant? No, you're just simply saying, I didn't do this. It's not fair what's happening to me. Okay. Or at work when you're, you know, the boss blames you for something. And, uh, 
it's 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 that sort of situation. So it's not saying oh, I'm absolutely perfect. I've never done anything wrong. It's in this situation, I didn't do anything. Um, what's going on? Okay. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But let's just uh, read quickly uh, chapter thirty-one. <clears throat> It's really an amazing passage. Um, I always, I, I find it helpful to remember. If you think of Proverbs thirty-one, Proverbs thirty-one, what's that about? The woman, the the, the the virtuous woman. Okay, so that gives sort of an idealized picture of a godly woman. Job thirty-one here sort of gives a picture of a godly man, if you can put it that way. Uh, verse one: I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? So here he deals with, with lust. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to uh, to look lustfully at, at young women. What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? Verse 5, if I have walked with falsehood. So he talks about dishonesty. Uh, verse 7, if my heart has gone after my eyes, covetousness. Um, uh, verse 9 he talks about adultery if my heart has been enticed toward a woman and I've lain in wait at my neighbor's door Um, uh, verse 13 he talks about oppression if I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant Uh, verse 16 if I've withheld anything that the poor desired Um, so you see those are not things if you if you if you say, I'm fighting lust, I'm fighting um, covetousness, these are all things all Christians should be doing. I, I seek to help the poor uh, in, in his sphere. Um, he, he, he doesn't oppress his workers. Um, uh, he's not idolatrous. So he, he uh, verse 26, if I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed, that's idolatry. Remember, they all worship the sun and the moon. He says, I, I haven't gone. You see, a Christian, a Christian could say that, you know, we, we worship the true and living God. We don't worship false gods. We're not being arrogant. We're not saying, oh, I'm perfect. We're just simply saying that's, um, he talks about hypocrisy and vindictiveness and etc. Um then there's a shift, and we introduce to this fourth guy, Elihu, in chapter 32. And now Elihu is not rebuked. Elihu also challenges Job, but it's more what we'd say prophetic wisdom. And he challenges Job about Job's view on God. Because he's saying, I want to meet with God, and he's saying God is righteous and holy, and, and he, he does what is right, etc., etc. Um, he's not saying the same thing. He's not saying, Job, you must be a very bad person because all this bad stuff happened to you. So Elihu's not really re- rebuked. Um, okay, chapter 38, as we come to the end, the heading says, the Lord answers Job. Okay, so remember what Job is saying. I want a meeting with God. I want to understand what's going on. I want to defend my case. Okay, This horror has come upon him. He's lost everything from being the greatest man in the East to being absolutely bankrupt and lost everything and in pain, physical pain. Um, it, it's, and his loved ones, you know, it's just, it's horrific. Um, and now God appears to him. And what you find, we, we won't read through it, but it's good to go and read through it. God doesn't actually answer him. God doesn't say, look, Job, I just want to tell you there was a meeting. Satan was there, and then he said some stuff, and it was really a challenge on me. And I just wanted to show everyone that, um, you know, that true believers, uh, remember the, new, the scriptures say, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. He doesn't tell him any of that. He simply asks Job questions. Uh, He says, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Okay, he says, who's talking? So eventually God does show himself. He does, in a whirlwind. Okay, okay. And he just says, you you know, who's talking nonsense, yeah? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Without knowledge. 
doesn't even mention his name. It's actually interesting. Yeah. Uh, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And he, he goes and, you know, who shut up the doors of the, the sea? Who put the stars in their place? Who, um, uh, he's quite sarcastic with them. Verse 21, you know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. You know, you were, you were around then. You saw when I made everything. Um, Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I have reserved for the day of trouble? Um, uh, it's just a whole lot of questions. Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? Do you know the next thing? Um, chapter 40, verse 1, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Verse 3, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord comes back at him. Verse 7, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? See, that's what, what Job was pushing for. I want to be proven right. He's saying, yeah, who do you think you are? Are you going to put me in the wrong? Um, uh, he, he, he talks about behemoth and leviathan and how great they are. And I think, uh, certainly I would, I would argue that I think they, they, are, they are dinosaurs, but they point beyond that to sort of apocalyptic creatures in Revelation has these two beasts. Um, so I think there's also even something demonic there, supernatural, that even the demonic realm, God is saying, you don't control that. You don't control anything. Um, but he was talking about creatures that couldn't exist. I think so, yeah. I think they, they, people have tried to fit them with hippopotamus and all sorts of things, but it doesn't fit because it talks about their tail like a yeah. cedar and sorts of things. But as you go through it, what he does, and it's quite something, what, what the Lord does is he takes Job to the extremities of the universe and time and creation <laughs> the stars and the planets and everything. It says, were you there? Were you there? Can you do this? Can you do this? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? And what he's saying to Job is, Job, you're clueless. Who are you? you you're clueless about physical things. Don't you think I know what I'm doing with you in your life? Okay. So, so what... what uh, uh, one theologian said, the book of Job is about Job going, one aspect of it, is Job going from being righteous to being wise. Sure. Okay. And so there's this movement that Job has to learn wisdom. At the end, he hasn't got an answer. God hasn't explained anything to him. He's just said all the stuff you don't know. And yet, Job is totally satisfied. Okay. Um, verse chapter 42 then Job answered the Lord and said I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted um, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know here and I will speak I will question you and make it known of you I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right. Okay, so here's the, for us, okay. Um, Job, it, it's, it's uh, Job is the wealthiest man in the East, the greatest man. He has all these children. Um, and in a, in a moment, he's all taken, okay. It's a massive fall, okay. Um, and, and that is always, I know it, it you know, it's hard to feel sorry for billionaires or something, but you know, if you if you 
If a billionaire loses everything, mm. it's a much bigger drop mm. than a middle class person, lower class person. Um, it's it's it, it, he loses everything and his health, everything. So it again, it's highly unlikely that that we will ever experience that amount of suffering where that you're totally bankrupted, lose everything, lose your whole family and your health. It's not impossible, but um, it's unlikely. Uh, so Job experiences all of that and he points us to Christ because while he is, he is upright, he's not perfect. Christ is the true righteous sufferer. Christ was absolutely perfect without any sin. Okay. And yet he, he suffered more than any other man. Um, and so Job is a type of Christ. Now for us as God's people, uh, we, we will suffer because of our sin, because God loves us, but then there will also be times where we, we just suffer. Okay. And um, God is taking you from is taking you to wisdom, to grow in wisdom, if you respond correctly and become wise. And as you do that, as you continue to love God, even if you know, there's not, you're not getting a whole lot of goodies, you show that God is, is worthy. Okay? That is his, his ultimate love. Yes, Duncan. So, um, is all... Is, okay, is all... So, I know we can suffer because of our sin, and sometimes we just suffer. But it's all suffering from God, or is are uh, some things also just due to like uh, yeah? Does God always have His hand in some of our suffering that we go through, some of our trials and stuff, or is it just like um, just some, like how is it just the way the world works sometimes? Are things also like sometimes a coincidence? You know? Yeah. So so uh, yeah, flu is going around. Christians are not immune to it. It's not like uh, Christians get flu. But behind that is still God. So the Bible is clear that God is sovereign over all things that happen. Um, so again, there's nothing random or just bad luck or something. It's always the providence of God that... So he has ordained all things for the good of his people. Um, but yeah, so sometimes there are things that... You know, if the world economy crashes totally, it's not as though, you know, only non-Christians end up on the street or that kind of thing. So there are things that just affect everyone. Daniel was also taken into exile into Babylon and Daniel was righteous. Um, so, yeah. But, and then there are other things that are specifically where God is. So just, just the, um, Peter, remember Peter? <laughs> it's, it's quite... It's funny, but it's it's horrible. The you know the Lord says to Peter, you know, Satan has desired to sift you. Very interesting. So Satan has come to God and said, God, I want to sift Peter. Yeah, I want to I want to throw him up in the air a bit and put him in the tumble dryer and see what happens. Okay, and you sort of think, I'm sure Peter was thinking, well, I'm sure you said no, Lord. Like, <laughs> like so you just told him to get lost. And the Lord just says, I've prayed for you. <laughs> that, that afterwards, <laughs> you'll be okay. So, uh, so sometimes, you know, we wish the Lord would just say no. Yeah. But, but he, he, he doesn't. Um, and, and so, but then if you can see it, that God is still worth loving. Um, no matter what. And if you can learn that. And learn that. We're, we're finite and puny. We can't see the big picture at all. We haven't a clue of the big picture. To think that God doesn't know what he's doing in your life. Of course he does. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's in control of the whole universe, the, the movement of the orbits of the planets, etc., etc. He will not uh, mess up with his, his children. The end, at the last section, he ends up with double what he had. So he gets another 10 children. He uh, ends up with double of every animal. So I think that points us to, it's eschatological, it points us beyond. 
in the end, it will be worth it. Okay. In the new heaven and new earth, no Christian will lose. You lose your life, so you may gain life. Okay, uh, It's never a case of just losing your life. So um, that's the book of Job. So I think we'll, we'll break there. All right, guys. Um, yeah, we're going to take a quick break, about 15 minutes. Uh, we'll let you know when we're back. Thanks, guys. Yes. So I hope it never was late. Sorry about that. No, no. Um, who, why Job was written, who wrote it, because it seems like it's a story. Yeah. And, but he probably was a real person. And the reason I'm saying it seems like it was a story is because of the whole Satan part. Like, who would know that? You know? Yeah, you have to listen to the recording because Duncan okay. knows. <laughs> no, um, uh, so James says, you've heard of, James, we went to James 5, James says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and, how, and the Lord's loving kindness. So it wouldn't make sense if it's, a, if it's just a parable because the loving kindness of the Lord in what? In a story. Um, uh, and remember, so for a prophet, God could have easily revealed behind the scenes, because revelation is is behind the scenes. So we don't know who wrote it, though. Okay. Um, maybe it was Job, later on, the Lord re- revealed stuff to him. But certainly at the time, he's not aware uh, what's going on. But we're, we're not told. Some people have said Moses. No, but wasn't it also written like even before... Genesis yes, so we, we said that we, there's, there's probably at the time of the patriarchs, like Abraham, um, it's probably the most ancient book, yeah. So, yeah, it really is, it is wonderful that the, the oldest book is on suffering. And, yeah. You ask all the questions that you miss. Uh, so sure. Well done, uh, <laughs> 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 He's like, talk to me. I'm the captain. 